0: We are on week four, and I'm gonna open us in prayer, and then we're gonna go pretty quickly to our Bible study groups. Um, so let me pray, then we'll give you a little direction. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for generously loving us and sending your son for our complete redemption. Thank you that we're already saved. And that through the work of your spirit, having united us to Christ Jesus, you're investing in our genuine growth even now. Bless us tonight as we listen to your word. Bless us as we work in these Bible study groups and also as we work in our teams. Help us hear what you're saying to your church and to walk in ways that Please, you bless one another, and bless our neighbors, and bless the this place where we live. We pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, um, so it's a little confusing because we have groups and we have teams, but you get it. At the beginning, we break into three Bible study groups. Raise your hand if you know you're on group in group one. Awesome. Group one people are largely over here. So tonight, do not get in one big group. Just make sure you're sitting with at least four group one people so you can talk well about the scriptures. So if you two join those three, you're set. So I, it's, it's less important that you're all in one big group, but that the group one people can really talk to each other. And just be aware that we're in a big room and maybe everyone can't hear you. So speak up and spread out as you need to. Okay, raise your hand if you know you're in group two. Awesome. Group two people, you're spread through the middle band here. So get together, but then break up into two or three groups so that you can sit around a table and listen to each other um, and, dis- and discuss those passages. Raise your hand if you know you're in group three. Awesome. Group three people kind of merge over here a little bit, but, but divide up enough so that you can hear people. Your job right now is to tell each other what you're hearing in the scriptures. So go. Go. All right, let me get everyone's attention one more time before you get started. Everybody, everybody get your seat where you're with your right group. Okay. all right, right, ready before you get started. Here's what I, here's look at, look at your week four New Testament two page where it says opening prayer. We already did that. Meet with your Bible study group. Someone's going to open in prayer for your group. Okay, but look what you're going to do with your smaller table. Just make sure you don't miss this. All right, everybody, everybody with me? Hold on, Anna. I'm talking to everybody right now. Just give me a second. Thank you. Um, make sure that after someone prays that you discuss your group's primary passages Okay, the main question there is not is what some paradigm you've learned that you might can relate these passages to, but what does this passage say? Okay, we all love paradigms, but we're looking for like, what does, what does this passage say? The second thing is, what did you learn and what impact is it having on you? It's really important you try to get to that second question as you share. You got about 15 minutes. Go, go. Here we go. Does group two, do y'all know who's representing? Your three tables, Cy Huffman. And group three, you've got a representative coming in a minute. Who'd you you choose? Who's group group three? John Schultz, awesome. All right, Meredith is going to summarize the passages from group one
1: is Meredith, and um, we had a passage in Timothy that laid out the qualifications for deacons, and starting there, a couple takeaways. Um, It's easy to think... Well, the deacons are in charge of mercy ministry and leading the church and outreach to others. And that outreach and ministry, especially to the poor, isn't an afterthought where it's like, oh, whoever's left over in our church resources can serve the poor. But it's those that are qualified and have met certain conditions are the ones who are supposed to lead the outreach and lead to the poor and not just the, oh, whoever's around... um, lead outreach can do that, but that's a priority that the church should have, and our leadership is qualified to do outreach. Uh, A lot of our passages were in Titus, and Titus, I think, is talking a lot about doing good works, and that the church is called to do good works, and that um, verse 16 in chapter 1 says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. So there is a link between, it's more than just knowing and believing who God is, that there's an outflow of believing who God is and then doing good works. And so the church is called to do good works in these passages over and over. And um, in chapter three, which is what we all should have read, it was a call to do good works, but then right there in the middle, a call to remember the gospel, that the reason we do good works is because of what Christ has done for us, and then a recall to do good works. And then when we're doing those good works, that's what we find our unity in, and when we're on mission together and serving others together, our thoughts are out and working together, and that helps us and should encourage us to avoid controversies amongst ourselves, that we um, are on mission together, and our our group is pointing outward instead of having controversies amongst the church. So um, awesome. that, those are our takeaways.
0: Thank you. Very good. Group one. Woo. All right. Cy, you're group two. You and Samuel. That's you're one. That's great. You're unified.
2: So um, golly, uh, fallen Meredith, pretty tough. <laughs> um, so, we had two groups, and we didn't compare notes.
0: Yeah, get closer.
2: Yeah. Okay, is that better? All right, thank you. So, you forget all those introductory comments I just made. Uh, but great job, Meredith. That was the whole <laughs> point. And uh, so, Samuel, I'll share together uh, from our two tables. So, our part of group two we focused on james 1 27 through 2:17, which everyone um was to read and then hebrews 13:1 through 6 the things that stood out from for us for that passage we all read out of james 1 through 2 um is do not show partiality becoming a judge with evil thoughts and so we all just felt like um guilty from the get-go um one of the things I shared was I teach this stuff all the time, but when I check myself, like when I did when I prayerfully read this this afternoon, I'm like, man, mm-hmm. I need God's mercy, forgiveness, and help uh, for transformation. And then the second point was this very positive uh, mm-hmm. statement made there, or at least a charge to literally, this is from ESV, it says, really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself." All the things it talks about in this passage, you know, this proactive statement, no, this is really fulfill, really fulfill the second great commandment. Um, Hebrews 13, 1 through 6, um, just a quick summary of that. Uh, let's keep loving each other, let brotherly love continue, like we have this wonderful fellowship here at Covenant Perez. Um show hospitality to strangers, some have entertained angels unawares. And uh, then back to contentment, uh, we, we centered on that, our lack thereof, you know, as we talked about that, but also uh, underlying fear about not having enough or if I were to go do this or that or step out in faith and go this or that, then I don't know if it's going to, you know, work out. And it ends up with saying, uh, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So that's that was the nature of our table discussion.
3: So we talked about the James passages, uh, James one twenty seven through two seventeen. Just a summary, if I had to summarize, the first section would be don't have prejudice. Is basically saying that don't, uh, if you have somebody that looks rich come in, don't give them the, the special place of honor versus someone who looks poor uh, coming in and putting them, hey, sit on the floor. Um, so summary would be don't show prejudice. Uh, ver- uh, verse 13, was stuck out to me where it was talking about uh, mercy is better than judgment. So I think that's like convicting to me because um, I don't know, I'm a rules guy, so I like to... You know, expect people to follow the rules, and I find myself sometimes being judgmental um so i it's convicting to me, and something I have to continue to work on is continually having a spirit of mercy, and that kind of leads into uh James five one through six um which basically was it's the reverse I feel like a lot of the the verses we've read have been talking about having a generous spirit, whether that's grace for just the way people are, the way they live, who they are, or materially um, in life. And so it was talking about the rich and how if you choose to hoard your wealth, that will not go well for you down the road. So,
0: Thank you. Awesome. All right, group three, John Schultz.
4: I don't know what the last group discussed over there. Maybe one of those guys will stand up in a minute. But um. <laughs> first, John. i get you. Yeah. All Just right. like like Josh said, eat it. There you go. Our our our. That's better. <clears throat> uh, the other group over there, they 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 took a look at First John three sixteen or eighteen, and the key points that came out of that were. If we have material possessions, we should be willing to share them and uh, love others in action, as opposed to simply words. And uh, the other, I was look, we were looking at uh, Revelation three fourteen to twenty one, and um, that pretty much lays it out where we are. I got to swallow this thing, don't I? Yes. <laughs> uh, here's what. Here's what it says. This is the Lord speaking. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So um, that's pretty challenging. He says, um, wherever wherever it is here, it says that he will discipline those whom he loves. And uh, so... He can work with you if you're flat cold, but if you're just kind of laissez faire and no care, sounds like he's going to spit you out of his mouth. And um, I don't want to be that. I know you don't either. So I, I think we need to repent and, and really jump on board because um, I know where my heart is and it wavers <laughs> all over the place. And um, I want to get it where it's supposed to be. So. That's. I think that's the message that we all need to take. Thank
0: you. Thank you, John. Awesome. All right. Just quick summary. Uh, get look, open your Bibles to Titus real fast. Meredith did a great job uh, pulling from group one. Good works is the theme of the book of Titus. Absolutely unequivocally, there's no doubt about it. Titus is about good works, and she pointed to verses chapter one, verses fifteen and sixteen, and. The ESV translation is, hey, Dave, uh, this is group one over here. If you're in that group, group two is kind of in the middle. Group three is over here in the corner. Okay. But the beginning of the book says uh, some are unfit to do good works. They are not believers. All right. In the middle of the letter, um, Titus is supposed to be a model of good works. In the middle of the letter, 2, 11 through 14, We're saved. And one of the goals of salvation is that there'd be a people zealous for good works. So it's easy for us to affirm that God saved us from sin and death and guilt and condemnation, but for being passionate about what he loves, which is his people doing those things that are good. All right. Then you get to chapter three and you're told that you're not saved by good works. So in case you think Paul forgot the gospel or got confused about it, in chapter three, Paul makes it very explicit. We are not saved by works done by us in righteousness. No, we're justified by God's grace. And then he says, Titus, hey, I want you to emphasize these things, because if people understand the gospel, they will devote themselves to good works. Isn't that amazing? You're not saved by them, but when you get it that God has graciously acted for your salvation, what has God done in his son? Canceled the debts that stood against you that you never could have paid. His son paid your debts in full. And in that very same son who paid your debts because he's the obedient son and you're saved by believing in him... All that he's earned, his inheritance, he shares it with you. So you deserve condemnation, you deserve death, but because of God's mercy and grace and love, your debts are paid for paid for in full, and you also have Christ's righteous status, and you're co-heirs with Christ. And so what Paul says to Titus is, hey, when you make it clear that people are not saved because of good works, when they understand the gospel, God's people will devote themselves to good works. Now, what's interesting is what Paul knows is if we think our good works are a lever to get grace from God, it will kill us. But if we understand that by God's grace, we have salvation as a gift, it makes us alive and we become zealous for good works. And that led to the last thing that Meredith emphasized, which is the end of the book. And then you don't ever get a definition of good, good works in Titus until the end. And this is what connects with our class deeply. Verse 14. And let our people learn process, process, process. Learning's a process. To devote themselves to good works. What have I meant all along? So as to help cases of urgent need and not to be unfruitful, so one of the primary things that Paul has meant that the whole letter of doing good works is helping in cases of urgent need, Diaconal living, not just by deacons, but by the people of God. Does that make sense? So good works is central to the whole letter. I commend Titus to you. It's only three chapters long. Read it once a month in the year 2022. It'll bless you richly. Okay. So then go to the next section real quickly. If you have a physical Bible in front of you, this is wonderful. Turn to Hebrews 13, which was well summarized by group two. Thank you. And I'm just going to pick up one verse, the 16th verse. And then keep it, you might be be fortunate like me, and James 1 is right next to it, so you don't have to flip the page. But I want you to read these carefully and then tell me what's so similar about these. So here's Hebrews 13, 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So read that a couple times. Doing good and sharing what you have as are sacrifices pleasing to God. And then James one twenty seven, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this: to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep one on from the same with the world. Okay, so what's so similar about Hebrews thirteen sixteen and James one twenty seven? What's being described? worship the kind of worship that God delights in sacrifices in Hebrews 13:16 are not sin offerings they in the Old Testament there were a lot of sacrifices that were worship offerings and the, the readers would have understood that so Hebrews 13:16 is saying hey when you're thinking about bringing God worship the kind of worship he delights in does he delight in your songs? Yes. Does he delight in, you, in prayers and praise in the assembly? Yes. Here's another kind of worship God delights in. He loves it when you share and do good. That is worship that God delights in. And then what does James say is the kind of religion or religious life that God says, yes, God the Father loves what? To visit widows and orphans in their distress, what do you think the word visit means in James one twenty seven? Hi. I know your address. Good talking to you. Bye. You think that's what visit means in James one twenty seven? What does it mean when the Lord visits his people? What does it mean when the Lord visits wrath on idolaters and unbelievers? What does it mean when, he, when God visits people that are crying out to him in distress? Uh, Visit means very close attention with the intent to bring about good things. That's what's being said here. And so this is the kind of religion that God loves. So just super quick personal story. I grew up on Lookout Mountain. And in the 80s, Reagan era... uh, The men in my world wore navy suits and a lot of nice ties and bow ties, and that was the world I grew up in, and there was a church in the poorest part of Chattanooga that was doing Adopt-A-Block, and basically they were getting Christians to come and do good in the poorest neighborhood in the city, and my dad, sitting there, had the wisdom to take me to Adopt-A-Block, and the first time I was there, I was on a street called Mitchell Avenue next to Inner City Ministries. And I was standing out in front of 1603 Mitchell Avenue that became a widow's uh, ministry house. And this guy named Andy Mendonza, who had long hair, a beard, blue jeans, and sandals on, like he looked like no man in my world, quoted James one twenty seven, And I remember he was standing on steps, and I was with my friends down below him. And he said, I don't know if you know this, but... James one twenty seven. Jim might've been there. Did you ever go hear Andy Mendoza? Bill did. Anyway, so <laughs> of course he did. Um, but, um, but Andy Mendoza says religion, which God the Father accepts, is to visit widow and orphans in distress. And then he said, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And I was like, whoa, and I can remember, number one, it was like lightning went through me. It was a life-changing moment. Because by the grace of God, I heard the word of God. But then I thought about it and I thought, huh, my whole life I've heard that a faithful believer doesn't get stained by the world. But my whole life I've not been taught <laughs> that visiting widows and orphans in their stress is what is the kind of worship that God loves. And they're just right there together. So it was very, very good for me. So thank you, Dad, for taking me there. Um, and he became a mentor of mine. But what a powerful Thought. Th- think of the grace of this. Think of the grace of this. God accepts good, doing good things and sharing generously. He accepts that as worship. That's wonderful. If you love God and know he loves you, it's wonderful to know the things that he loves. You want to please him. And God loves it. The religion that God says, yes, that's what I saved you to do is to... Give attentive, life-changing care to widows and orphans in their distress. What a, what a grace. Um, I, I, I've been married 30 years and a little bit. And when Chrissy makes it very clear what she wants, I actually like it. Because when I guess, I'm wrong nine times out of ten. But it's just so, so nice when she treats me as dumb, because I can be, and says, "Robbie, please do this. That's awesome. Well, in James one twenty-seven, God who loves us is saying, this is what I want you to do. So it's just wonderful to be liberated by God's grace and to be told how to please our Father in heaven. We're not pleasing him so he will be gracious to us. We're rescued by his grace and love and liberated to do the good things that he wants us to do. You see how important that, how different that is? God is never saying, do these things and then I will like you and show you grace and love. That's never how the Bible works. I've rescued you in grace and mercy and love and set you free to do these good things. Very different order. Okay, and then the last one was 1 John 3. We'll summarize by group three. I'm out of time. Love, not just in deeds, but in action, right? So a lot of us in here are married people. If your spouse repents, repents, repents verbally over... You know, I'm going to start doing these good things or stop doing those bad things, but their actions never change. What do we know? It's not real repentance. So that's simple. Okay, here's what we're going to do now. So you're in four teams. Thank you. You've been in three groups, Bible study groups. Now you've got four teams. So I would love it if team one will migrate to that corner over there. No, sorry. A lot of y'all are right here. Go find the Hogwoods. Team one, come find the Hogwoods right here. Team one, studying poverty. Boom, right there. Team two, go to that corner, please. Team two, that is with Kurt and Ashley Sin, um, studying the model of Urban Hope Community Church and Community Development. By the way, team two, we're learning from them. What a privilege, right? We have a lot to learn from them. Team three, find Katie Bragg and go to that corner over there. (laughs) And I'm gonna hang out
2: with y'all some tonight. And team four, right here. Up here in this front corner, thank you.